Good morning again, and uh, I'm excited for us to hear together about what God has been saying as I've studied the word uh, to be able to bring to you a second message here today related to marriage. I think we all laughed together last week when Pastor Gary said that he had good news and bad news. He said, the good news is I'm going to be giving a, a, a series about marriage. And then he said, the bad news is I'm giving a series about marriage. And I felt that this week while I was preparing for that. There's uh, challenges, and I'll talk a little bit about that as we go into it. I took a little bit of time as I was preparing for this message to think about and read about the statistics about marriage today in our world, the duration of marriage. And it's been interesting in my lifetime to see that narrative shift over the course of years. So when I was thinking about marriage 20 years ago or so, uh, there was major questions about the changes that were happening, whether or not it would even continue in society. Uh, there were so many marriages that were ending and attacks against marriage and changes. And there was that oft-repeated statement that uh, the rate of marriage breakdown was as high in the church as what it was in the society. And we think about that. But if you look at the numbers now, that narrative has changed. I was, I was thinking about that. I, I don't think about that. I don't hear that in the same way. True, Marriage in many sectors of society is not held as high, in as high of regard as what it has been in the past. People wait longer to get married, uh, less people are getting married. But something interesting has happened. Once people say, I do, and once they take that step of marriage, uh, a smaller rate of marriages now today than 20 years ago um, are actually breaking down. So marriages are lasting longer now. Again, they're stronger in some ways. And I think that has happened. I think we've seen a pendulum swing there as we have had generations of people that have grown up and seen the importance of marriage as society has adjusted. And so we've seen that change in our lifetime. And what about that statement that uh, marriage breakdown is as high in the church as it is uh, in just society in general, right? Um, I read this article in Focus on the Family that couples who regularly practice any combination of serious religious behaviors and attitudes, attend church nearly every week, read the Bible together or read the Bible separately, spiritual materials, pray together or separately, generally take their faith more seriously, living as not as perfect disciples, right, but as serious disciples, that there's less marriage breakdown than just those who would call themselves Christian in name only or the general public or unbelievers. Saying you believe something or merely, or, and, or merely belonging to a church, unsurprisingly, does little for marriage, but the more you are involved in the actual practice of your faith in real ways, the greater the difference that this is going to make in both strengthening the quality and the longevity of your marriage. So I thought that was, uh, I was interesting as I thought about today. Uh, my mind flew back last week as I was watching Gary preach and thinking about uh, this moment coming up where I'd be sharing today to myself standing here on this stage uh, with Fernie, my wife, Almost 20 years ago, September 7th, 2003, that's coming up, it's going to be 20 years ago, Pastor Bill was here, uh, performed our marriage, performed our wedding ceremony. 
when I, as sort of this simple kid from the woods of Canada, where I grew up, uh, said yes, and I do, to my wife, Fernanda, uh, this urbane, uh, some might have said wild at that point, Brazilian girl that we had met, that I had met uh, in university in the US. I like to think that I married up. That's, uh, that's what I like to think. They say that opposites attract, right? And see if any of you who have been married or are married can, can, uh, can identify with some of these things. So I'm a practical administrator who loves details, and I admit I can get lost in them. And she's a visionary dreamer who, shall we just say, kind of tolerates the details. Uh, I love sleeping in quiet at night and she loves having the fan on at night. We've slept with the fan on in our bedroom for the last 20 years of our marriage. I like pets outside the house, she likes pets in the house and maybe even in bed with you, can you believe that? For the last 20 years of our lives, our dogs have lived outside the house and I think she actually kind of likes that now. I focus on practicality and make decisions logically. I don't like to change my mind. I can be stubborn. I want to consider all the options, put it all on the table. Fernie makes decisions with her heart, intuitively. She senses what is right and can easily adjust if, necessarily, if necessary. Incidentally, those decisions can take days for me to make, and Fernie has this amazing ability in 10 seconds to know exactly what the right step is and what needs to be done. And yes, that does drive me crazy, and it drives her crazy sometimes when it takes me 10 days to make the decision. So as you can tell, I'm kind of boring and steady, and Fernie is fun, and I won't say unsteady, maybe passionate is a better word, right? And there's our Christmas card up there on the stage. That was definitely her personality coming out in the middle of our, our Christmas card. But you know, there's also many ways that we are alike. We can think about the differences. Um, the primary thing that attracted me to Fernie was her love for Jesus, uh, her heart for others, and the way she could pe lead people and worship uh, with her genuineness. We both love the campo or country, probably a little bit more than we like the praia or beach. We're passionate about living an integrated family life together, and that impacted sort of a pretty major decision for her close to 18 years ago when she was in starting her last year of her master's degree, and she said, I want to be a mom, and I just want to be at home, and she stopped her master's degree right there. Now, I'm embarrassed to say, you remember me, I'm the one who doesn't change decisions, right? I go all the way to the end. That at first, I resisted her a little bit on that, but then as we lived that out, it was amazing to see uh, what a good decision that was, as it impacted our ability to, to homeschool, to work family traditions into our lives. Um, so those are some of the ways that we are alike. We like the wilderness, we like receiving people into our outdoor-oriented Sao Paulo home, and that's not a misnomer, that really does exist in Sao Paulo. We like gardening, uh, raising chickens, having puppies, playing on the water. Uh, if you can still call what's in the Hipresa Guarapiranga water, I don't know if it still qualifies as water or not, I think it's changed a few of the elements in the chemical composition. So that's a little bit of an introduction to us. That's where I speak from today. That's where I come from. And the title of the sermon is, Why Did I Say I Do? I got that passage, that well-known passage from Ephesians. If you're going to preach about marriage, uh, this is one of the ones that has to be touched on. And I just want to say that, you know, preparing for the sermon 
was in many ways very, very intense and hard because marriage, it's intensely personal. It touches the deepest parts of who you are, your emotions, your sexuality, your past, your present, your future. But it also mixes. It's also in some ways very public. Your marriage impacts your other relationships all the time for those who are married. It brings children into the world when marriage ends. It has private and public consequences. Uh, when it continues, it does the same, right? And as I studied and as I prepared this sermon, uh, I was intensely aware of my own shortcomings and even my own sin in this area, and I had to go to God and confess numerous times as I saw the truth in his word, I had to go to Fernie. And guys, uh, when I studied and when I went through these passages, I just saw how much the Bible has for us. Oftentimes, the role of the women is, is something that comes up, but there's actually more there in terms of comment for the guys. And you know, the Bible's kind of really hard on us guys. And so we've got a lot to learn here together. So join with me as we come together to the word this morning and see what it is that God is wanting us to learn. Uh, I thought that Gary used an interesting phrase last week. He talked about a Christian marriage and what does that look like? And so if we took our title this morning that says, why did I say I do? And we could even change it a little bit and say, why does a Christian say I do? And that's going to impact all of us here, whether you're married, whether you've been married, aren't right now, um, whether or not uh, you're single and you're thinking about it. So let's come together and let's learn to it together. And Gary asked me to make sure that I said to the singles who are here today to remember that next Sunday he's going to have a sermon for you. Uh, and we have a good word in Portuguese called convocar. I haven't discovered the, uh, the English translation for that word yet, but it means something like you're summoned, you're called to be here next week so that he can be sharing with you as well. So when I said and made the decision to say I do, uh, there was all kinds of reasons involved. I love Fernie. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, thought she was beautiful. Uh, I thought she would complete me in many ways that I perceived I was not complete in. I wanted to care for her. But I look back now and I also see that in many ways, when you make that initial decision to marriage, there's whole parts of marriage that you just don't have an idea about. And thank the Lord. Um, that he walks with you faithfully through all of that, even though you can't grasp all of that at the beginning. But I also look back and there were good roots of truth and biblical reasons that were present in our decision. I knew uh, that it would not be an easy marriage, uh, that we were melding two cultures, two ways of life, two family backgrounds, two personalities, right? How is that even possible? And we're going to see here in the scripture, God used the word, the mystery, right? The becoming of one flesh. And so this is a topic that is deep, and I'm going to extend the, the sermon time just a little bit longer than normal today to try and cover what I need to cover. But I also want to say that this mini-series, while it's not going to go deep, it's setting up for those of us who want to take the opportunity in the next semester, we're going to be having a Sunday school class that Brian Holman is going to be teaching using the book called Sacred Marriage. And so I'd encourage you to think about that and possibly participate in that. I've listed 
three reasons that I'm going to work through about why a Christian says I do, okay? And we're going to work through those now. And the first one that I want to say is to reflect Christ and the church. There's an author, he's called Jeffrey Bromley, and he wrote in this book, God and Marriage, in the early 1980s, and he said this phrase, as God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. I'm going to read that again. As God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. So when I thought about this statement, I realized that I'm very familiar with the first part of that, right? Um, if you have a nominal understanding of Christianity, at least, you understand that the idea is that God made us in his image. And we have this idea that we are to be image bearers. But I confess that the idea that we're going to see strongly come out in the scriptures that we're going to look at here, that our marriage relationship reflects God's marriage relationship with his bride, the church, is something that I have not considered very deeply over the course of my life. And if you stop to think about it, it can have massive implications for how we live and how we act out our marriage relationship. You can see, and I couldn't get this all on one slide, so um, when I was studying this, right, I looked at uh, Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33, and Taiwo is just going to scroll through the four slides in a row there. In each one of those yellow words that are highlighted, this is God talking about how marriage is like the relationship of God and the church. It comes out so strongly in these verses, and you can, you can pick it out. Gary used that phrase, the Christian marriage, like I talked about. And when two Christians marry, their marriage will be different than a non-Christian marriage to the extent in which it seeks to achieve this reflection. And then our marriage becomes something that can show the world around us who God is. It's the imperfect, because none of us have a perfect marriage, providing a reflection of the perfect. And we model the relationship of Christ to the church and church to, the Christ, to Christ, to the world around. So if you're married here this morning, how many times in the last week have you stopped to think about and say to yourself, uh, my marriage is a reflection of Christ to the church? That's not something that I do regularly. And yet it comes out so often. We see this as the fundamental reason for why God created marriage. And there's specific roles that God assigns that are going to allow this to happen in the context of the way that God designed marriage. I don't have time to put a foundation here that I'd like to put. And so I'll just say briefly that if I had time, I'd look a little bit more at verse 21. And if you can, uh, I'm not even sure if it's there, but it talks about the mutual submission that is part of our relationship as Christians with each other. I'd also look at Colossians 3, 12 through 14, uh, which is there, that has very strongly the concepts of forbearance or bearing with, 
and forgiveness. Forgiveness because we sin against each other in the context of the relationship and we need to be able and ready to forgive each other. Forbearance, because there's a lot of things that aren't sin, but they're just kind of annoying about the other person at times, just different things that just aren't comfortable. And you just have to bear with because of the covenant, the decision that you have made as a result of this marriage relationship. But I want to get to what are these roles? What is this structure that God has built into this relationship, this marriage that he designed, that he made, that was his idea? And so if you look at verses 20 through through 24, it lays out right in the, middle, in the beginning of these, of these verses, these roles, what are they? A structure where the husband is given the role of being the head as Christ. Pay attention to the way it says as Christ, right? He is not Christ. He is as Christ. He has the role of being. And what does that mean? We're going to look at that in, in the next part. And the woman is given the role of submitting to the head as the church. She is not the church. She is as the church. And what does that mean? We'll see. And so just as I finish this first point, that a reason for saying I do is to be a reflection of Christ and the church, I just go back to this question, right? What would it mean if I kept that always in the forefront of my mind. So if Fernie and I wake up early one morning, or not so early, maybe we've slept in, and one of us has a crossword for the other, and that reaction of mine is to, in that moment, respond in the same way. What if I say to myself, my response is going to be an indication of who Christ is with the church? What will that look like in terms of my decision and how I respond? How will my kids see that? How will other people see around it. It's a calling. It's a vocation. And your primary goal in your marriage relationship should be to reflect who Christ is and who the church is through your relationship. This is what God asks of us. This is the plan he has for us. It's this greater calling that he has for us. So that's the first reason, to reflect Christ and the church. The second reason that I say here is to give of myself in relationship. As human beings, we were made for relationship. And this is a concept, a general concept that is true for all of us, and it can be expressed in all kinds of relationships, right? But specifically in the marriage relationship, there is an intensity and opportunity. Uh, there is intimacy. In a lot of relationships, we do not have the level of intimacy, truth, uh, honesty that you get in the marriage relationship. So you see the true person as they really are. You see the spouse sees the other person as they really are. And in the middle of that, in the context of that, we have the opportunity to live out this part of us, which is that in, as we are made in the image of God, we were made for relationship. God himself reflects that in the, in the Trinity and the way that he himself is a relational God. So let's look at these roles, the structure that I talked about just a little bit as we go into these verses. And I'm going to speak first to the husbands. That's the one that comes up first in these verses. And the husband is asked to be as Christ, right? And so right there, you get the relational, sacrificial aspects of what it is to live as Christ. John Piper 
uh, writing in the book, The Momentary Marriage, and it's a book that I was actually reading through over the past several months, and it just happened to coincide with uh, the sermon here. He defines headship as the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership protection and provision in the home. Verse 25 says that the husband is to love and to give himself up. Love and give himself up. Right there, I was ready to resign as a deacon, <laughs> buy my ticket out of the country, go to another place, because when you really stop, you can't hide anything in marriage, right? You are who you really are in marriage. And do I give myself up for my wife? To my shame, I would like to say that I would like to do it much, much more than what I do. What comes out of me so often is not that. It is the selfish. It is what's inside. But this is what God asks us to. This is what the word asks us to. As Christ, who gave himself up for the church, everything that he did in life was focused on to the point of giving his very life so that we could have salvation. And when I think about that task of doing that, men, for our wives, that is no small task. Verse 26 brings a focus on the spiritual health of the marriage, the wife, the home, on holiness. Um, I take the reference to washing with water as a reference to baptism. Uh, it's generally understood to be that way. And then there's this statement about the word. Do we regularly bring men the word into our home? Are we taking time every day in devotions, in a family worship time, in a family reading time together to be bringing the word into our home? You might have the response or the action that, but I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Start with bringing the word into your home. Read it. Let it speak. Seek to understand. There's all kinds of resources that are available, things that you can do. And the man and the wife can do that together. But the Bible is calling the man to a leadership responsibility here to say, create that time. Create that space. Verse 27, we see the phrase of Christ's goal to present his wife, the church, as radiant, holy to himself. Men, we love to have radiant wives, don't we? Uh, Gary used that joke last week where he said that uh, men like to have a working car, but they don't like to work on their car so much. Radiance, what is that radiance? At peace, joyful. And as we do the things that are being talked about here, we do have that opportunity to see our wives with that radiance. It's linked to our action, our leadership, Verses 28 and 29 talk about the phrase, as, their own, as your own body. And so basically saying, would you treat your body any other way? Would you use angry and hurtful words to yourself, to your own body? Of course not. And here we get a, an idea and, and, and if you think about this, you guys will know what I'm talking about, those who are married. How often do I catch myself saying, uh, you need to, you need to change this, you need to do this differently, you, you, we need to change that. That's a false dichotomy. We are one with our 
spouse in the marriage relationship. And so the language need, needs to be about we, us. There's a, a phrase from Song of Solomon that I remember that talks about we need to catch the foxes that are ruining our vineyards, meaning we need to deal with the conflicts that are affecting our relationship. And words are so important. This week I um, had the opportunity with another missionary to counsel a lady who had just gone through some really hard domestic violence. And she had on her body the physical marks of what she had suffered at the hands of her husband. But what caught my attention is the real pain that showed on her face was when she talked about the words that had been used. The way that she was cut down to the core of who she was, her own worth by the words that had been used in that situation. This truth that is in the word, the Bible, has the possibility to change so much, to make such a difference in how we live and how we act out our lives. Verses 28 and 29 well, that's the one I talked about, the phrase, as your own body. And then I want to just look at briefly 1 Peter 3, 7. And it says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It's a pretty strong warning, isn't it? Our relationship with God, men, is going to be impacted by how our treatment of our wives is in our marriage relationship. And so then in verse 29, again, we see the phrase feed and care, okay? What is that about? It's the call for provision and protection. Husbands, we're gonna work hard to make sure that there is food on the table, right? Um, you're gonna stand in the way of threats. You're gonna pay attention to the protection of your home, whether that's in a physical way or whether that's in a spiritual way or um, different things that can come in that can break down your home. And I was having coffee with a sociologist on, on Friday afternoon, someone who's well-recognized in the city. One of the things she was talking about is how that role of the man in the society has been put aside. And so oftentimes the woman has assumed both the role of the provision and the working and the providing for uh, the child and also the taking care of the child and how that has had a debilitating impact on the man in that role. And she said the result of that has been anger and frustration coming out. And so we see here a different way. We see a different provision, okay? Um, I understand and I believe that God is gonna call um, uh, women to work as well but when we talk, or can call to that, but when we talk about the specific aspect, this role of provision, this assuming of responsibility and leadership, we see this clearly laid out in scripture to the man and the man being called to that. So now we go to the role of the wife. And John Piper, again, borrowing from him, he brings this definition of submission as the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. 
It's interesting that at that point in culture, at that time in the Roman culture, uh, the, the cultural belief was that the woman needed to obey her husband. Paul could have used that word here. He didn't. He used instead the word submission. And I think this definition that John Piper gives it is a really good definition. If we look at 1 Peter 3, 5, uh, it says what submission is based on. This is how the holy women who hoped in God adorned themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Perceive that it's based on hope in God. Uh, borrowing from John Piper again, she looks away from the brief troubles and miseries and obstacles of life that seem to make the future bleak, and she focuses her attention on the sovereign power and love of God who rules in heaven and does on earth whatever he pleases. There's also a concept of fearlessness that's present in submission. 1 Peter 3.6, the next verse, used the phrase, you are her daughters, referring to Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Hope, fearlessness. And then if this is supposed to point to Christ, remember I talked about the relationship of Christ and the church. Think about how we relate to Christ, right? How we come to him, how we understand that he has our best in mind, how when we face difficulties and hard times, things that we are going through, we seek him out, we pray, we ask, we make our requests known. Unlike Christ, right, men are sinful and fallible, and I put myself there, right? So the woman in this relationship, her first allegiance is to Christ, right? And women, you see us men in a really delicate and vulnerable way because you see all of those failings. You know your husband inside and out. You have the power to build him up as a man or to tear him down. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her own hands. Because besides just being a wife, right, uh, the wife is a loving sister in Christ of that man. And here we can go to Galatians 6.1 that says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, right? And so that opportunity is there uh, for the man and the woman together to together seek that growth, that change, that growth in holiness. Remember the little diagram that Gary used last week, and I actually saw my nine-year-old daughter drawing out that diagram on a piece of paper last week. I thought that was so cool. The point at the top of the triangle was God and the man and the woman on either side, and the closer they come to God, the closer they come to each other. Uh, 20 years ago, here on this stage, when Thomas Smoke preached uh, our marriage message, he used the example of a flashlight, he brought one along, and he said the bulb, you know, is the light. And you have the two filaments there, and he compared it to the man and the woman. Together, they can bring this light, they can bring this reflection of who Christ is, but you need the battery, you need the source of power, and who is that? That is God, those two things working together. First Peter 3.1 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. John Piper says that this doesn't mean that a woman can't 
talk to uh, a husband about his lack of faith, but it does also mean that we use words, but then there's also behavior and how we live out our lives that is going to make an impact. Finally, verse 33 uh, caps off with the word respect, and we see it coming out here. Here's a dictionary definition for you. Understanding that someone or something is important, serious, etc., and should be treated in an appropriate way. Take your husband seriously. Let him know that you have his back, right? Refuse to speak badly about him. A husband respects her husband uh, when she shows that disposition and that inclination to follow his lead. So let me speak to both of us here, husbands and wives together. If you like me, you can see these messages, you can see this, uh, these words that are coming out, and you can think, wow, that's a tall order. Isaiah 41.10 uh, says this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the promise that God gives to us to be with us in all areas of our lives. And so to finish out this point, remember I said the point was living out relationally, having the opportunity to have uh, this relationship. Several different things, right? Work within the roles that God has given, that he has laid out here. Those words, love and respect, they're the title of a book, right? Uh, and they are so true. What my wife so often needs from me is love. And what I so often need from her is respect. If you're running into a hard time, if you're having difficulties, maybe today you're just at uh, the end of your rope in relation to have your relationship, that's a basic concept that you can go back to. Am I giving love? Am I giving respect? Use forbearance. I talked about that. There are some times when you simply are committed to the covenant decision that is the marriage relationship and where you say, no, I'm going to forbear this. I'm going to bear through this. And as you live with the imperfection of your spouse, remember that it is God who has the place and the role of bringing that change in your spouse. Um, after a number of years in my marriage relationship, I learned the lesson, and I don't always get this right, but I really did reach a point where I learned and I said to myself, you know what? Change is not my responsibility. And how often do we catch ourselves trying to change the other person? But when that person has that relationship with God, and even if they don't, God can intervene in situations, and he can bring about change. And one of the benefits of having been married now, approaching 20 years, as Fernie and I have been, is to be able to see a few different things, right? Not how many as we would like, but a few different things that have really changed. And I can look back at specific times in our marriage relationships where it was like God reached in after a certain number of years even and said, okay, I'm gonna change this now. And in that moment, she, in that moment, I, we take a step forward in that process of knowing more and becoming more like Christ. Why? Due to the grace and the goodness, this promise that he gives us that he is going to be with us in the middle 
of this relationship. And finally, the third reason uh, that I would say here is to raise the next generation of disciples of Jesus. Now, I crafted this statement with some work, okay? Um, there are few things that are more pleasurable, more beautiful than having family. There are a few things that are more difficult and more challenging and at times painful than having family. This is true for kids. They're going to stretch you more, uh, make you less self-focused, challenge you in ways that you never thought possible. But when we look at the word, and I, I went through those passages in Ephesians, and I'm going to get to the next chapter, which goes into verse 1, and then it brings up kids um, coming in. And so one of the things that Kevin Fleury mentioned to me one time was that he has this distinct memory when he was visiting this church back in 2002, I think. And he was, I think he came specifically to go to Mary's parenting class. I don't think you were even members here yet. And he saw this young guy, that was me, single, participating in the parenting class. And he was like, what in the world is that guy doing in the parenting class? I was fascinated by Mary's class to the sense at which it focused on, and it was called raising kids, or I don't remember what it was called, but it was focused on discipling children, using your home to capture them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes teaching in the church has been too simplistic. It's focused too much on Genesis 128 that says, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. And this is true as good. Make children, have babies, right? And that physical process of that is good and joyous and everything. But the church can stop there. It can say we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. But the calling goes beyond. It is to make children into true disciples of Jesus Christ. Because remember that we're talking about being an example of Christ and the church here. How do people come into Christ's family? They accept him through salvation, are born into the family of Christ, become spiritual sons of God, sons and daughters of God. And so this is the perfection. This is what our marriage is meant to reflect. And so that opens up a realm of possibilities that go beyond just having biological children. Marriages are gifted with having biological children, but they can also be gifted with children in other ways, through adoption, through fostering, through being involved in teaching Sunday school, in the nursery, neighborhood Bible clubs, ministry, things like that. About a week and a half ago, I, on a Saturday, went to a gathering. Thomas and Suzanne aren't here this morning. I can talk about them. And social media is great for maintaining contact. And so they had put out on social media that they were going to be holding this gathering uh, at one of our homes there at ABBA. And all the kids that they had had involvement with over the years through the ministry with Kids at Risk could come there. And I went. The number of who were kids are now young adults, many of them with their own families, making a point of coming there, having Thomas and Susanna as a reference, their biological kids, their spiritual kids. That was a challenge to me. This is one of the beautiful things that marriage 
why Christians should say I do, and how you use your home. Several verses just to reinforce this concept. Psalm 127.3. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from him. Psalm 127.4 and 5. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And here we're going to look at active leadership again, right? I said that the marriage is to be there to create disciples of Jesus Christ. De Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Are we doing this? Couples, marriages, are we having this opportunity? Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And now we get to this Ephesians passage, 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them along in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the training and instruction of the Lord. So both husband and wife are to be involved in this teaching. We see that clearly when the children are given the command to respect and respond. But again, guys, we get this focus, we get this calling, the specific way that Paul calls us out and says to not provoke, to bring them up. Paul establishes this position of leadership in the marriage relationship and he calls this, he brings this on also into the creation of the children. I work every week with a number of different families that are in really, really difficult situations. And invariably, the father is not present in the home situation. And children carry marks that go deep many, many, many times from the absence of their fathers being there. This makes a difference. The truth, the way that God lays this out in his word makes a difference. We cannot, and, and here I am talking about kids in the context of a marriage, but it, it is that. The marriage exists for a reason. We cannot sub out the training and the raising, the disciplining of our children. If you catch yourself wanting to pass that responsibility to someone else, careful. God has said, God has called you. Doesn't mean we shouldn't and can't use all kinds of other resources and people to be part of that way. All kinds of other resources and people to be part of that way. But God calls you in your place that he has given to be a part of that. Let us bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Remember that verse that is Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. So the three reasons, again, to reflect Christ in the church, to give myself, yourself in relationship, to raise the next generation of, disciplers, uh, of disciples and followers of Jesus.
I want to say this carefully, but in the context of what I said that I see every week, in the context of what I do with the families that I work with, right? Um, and I saw this written down one time. The statement was, you don't have to have a great marriage. You just have to have a good marriage. Or it's sometimes it's going to be a so-so marriage, right? Stick with it. Have persistence. Work on it. Apply the things that we see laid out for us in the word. Christ will be with you. He will be taking care of you. He will be walking with you through it. Stick to it with your children, with that task. He is faithful. We can acknowledge the weaknesses, the hard times, the difficult things that are in us that we go through. Don't do it alone. Reach out to other people around you, your brothers and sisters, and share with them about what you're going through. Ask for prayer. And as we do that, we will have the opportunity, remember, to be one more beautiful example of God's grace his goodness, not because of who we are and what we can do, but because of what he is doing in us and in our marriage relationships. Allow me to pray a little bit, and then the worship team can come up, and we're going to finish off uh, with worship this morning. Lord God, we have stood before your word here this morning. We have sought to understand its truth as we've sought to follow you, Lord God, we have committed to our lives to hearing you and submitting ourselves to you and to what it is that you are doing and what it is that you want. Lord God, another thing that impressed me as I was working through this is the balance, the, um, the balance with which your word treats this prospect of marriage because we know that marriage is not going to exist in the future it is something for now it is a reflection and I think we saw this clearly here this morning it can be a reflection of that which is perfect but it's not going to exist forever having children are dear and precious relationships and you give them to us as a good gift when they are maintained in that careful balance always keeping you first in our lives. It is possible, Lord God, it can be possible for a marriage, a wife, a spouse, a relationship, a dating relationship, children to become, to take the place of you in our lives. And you show us clearly from your words where our goal needs to be, where our focus needs to be, what we need to be working for and we know in that balance, in that correct placement of importance in our lives, we have the opportunity to experience the joy and the goodness of everything that you want to give us in that relationship. So help us to do that, Lord God. Thank you. In your name, amen.